0: Welcome to the Contracting Officer Podcast. If you work in the government acquisition world, this podcast is for you. Whether you work for government or industry, we're here to help you understand how the other side thinks. Our mission? To make government contracts better, one contract at a time. Today's episode is sponsored by ProPricer, the number one proposal pricing and cost analysis software used by federal agencies and small to large government contractors. Are you spending too much time creating or analyzing proposal cost data? ProPricer offers a better way. Government contractors can save time and improve accuracy with ProPricer by standardizing their pricing methodology and creating what-if scenarios and custom reporting with a few clicks compared to hours or even days using a
1: homegrown tool. And federal agencies eliminate redundant efforts with ProPricer because they can seamlessly import contractor cost data and conduct apples-to-apples evaluations to make sound award decisions. Instead of having to update your manual spreadsheet each time we negotiate throughout the process, now you can do that more quickly and easily with ProPricer. Learn more about the benefits of ProPricer by visiting propricer.com slash podcast. Today, we're
0: talking pricing. In particular, one part of the process that both sides should understand. Let's get started. Hey Kevin. Today, we're going to talk about price reasonableness.
1: We are. Price reasonableness is important because price always matters. Whether you're awarding a competitive contract or a sole source, price matters. So there are actually three ways that the government assesses price. Reasonable, realistic, and complete. And today, we're going to knock out reasonableness.
0: So speaking in acquisition time zone lingo, we're in the last zone here when you're talking price reasonableness, this is the source selection zone or more often than not, when you're talking about sole source acquisition. So this is, this is towards the, the end of the acquisition world. It also may come up in change proposals later on. If you're negotiating sole source engineering change proposals.
1: Or modifications to existing contracts.
0: Yeah, that's what I was trying to say. So why is this important? Because like you said before, Kevin, price matters. It always matters. And w- what we're talking about is what is the right price? Is it, is it too much? Is it too little? And that can depend on who you ask and it can be very, very situation dependent.
1: And, and it can also be contentious. <laughs> so it, basically what happens is the government says, oh, we don't think this is a reasonable price. And Industry says, well, how do you know? I'm the one that put it together. What do you mean it's not reasonable? And it, just like that, it becomes contentious. And the next thing you know, the fight is on. <laughs>
0: So we need to set the stage first, just a little bit, why we're talking about price reasonableness. And this goes back to cost or price analysis. The FAR talks about cost and price analysis in many places. In part four, in the administrative part, it says that the the contract file requires some cost or price analysis work. FAR part 16 in contract types, this this is one of the factors involved in choosing what contract type you use far part 15 Contracting by negotiation says that cost or price analysis may or shall be used to determine a reasonable price. But strangely enough, in definitions part far part two, it's not clearly defined what price reasonableness is.
1: Yeah. It's kind of, it's interesting that it's not really black and white. What's the definition of reasonable. And that's ironic since numbers are black and white. Right. So, This ends up being, I would say, as much art as science. But in a lot of ways, it's going to feel like more art than science. And, and you can't really say, well, I know it when I see it. You kind of have to have some understanding of what does reasonableness look like before you come up against that question.
0: So the goal is to determine the the right price. And yes, that, that is subjective.
1: Very. No matter what someone thinks it's going to cost or thinks they should pay, there's always this little struggle between that's too much, that's not enough, and then when the, deal, when the deal gets done, if the deal gets done, then both sides end up with a price they can live with, and it may just be a compromise and th- that they find is fair.
0: So there you get to reasonable. If both sides agree, you know, I will sell you this for this price, and I will buy it for this price, that's reasonable. There you weird, go. The weird thing is with the government sounds easy that way, <laughs> right? But the government has to actually document why it's reasonable. You do this every day in your normal life, but you don't have to write a memo for why you thought that was a reasonable price.
1: <laughs> exactly. Then somebody else gets to read and rip apart and question and all that. Yeah. Uh, and the good news is there there are lots of ways to do this, and 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 really the, the goal, the end goal from both sides, is to make sure the price is right. You know, it's the porridge thing. It's not too hot. It's not too cold. It's right. So that, that's the art of this whole exercise.
0: Okay, at the risk of belaboring the FAR stuff here, it's worth mentioning FAR 31. Part 31 is all the cost stuff. So 31.201-3 actually talks about determining reasonableness in the price. 31.201-3A says a cost is reasonable if, and there's, a, there's more than just we're going to talk about here, but we've pulled out a few relevant nuggets. So a cost is reasonable if, in its nature and amount, it does not exceed what a prudent person would pay in the conduct of competitive business. And, you know, it's a bit of paraphrasing, but outside of all these other factors, what would someone normally pay to buy whatever you're buying here? Kind of makes sense. But it's squishy. (laughs) It's
1: squishy. And it also says, no. this is the long version, No presumption of reasonableness shall be attached to the incurrence of costs by a contractor. Which, basically what that says is, not all costs count as (laughs) reasonable. So (laughs) just
0: because you incurred it doesn't mean it's reasonable. There's a lot, especially in a cost-type contract, there's a lot of things that would be allowable costs that are crazy unreasonable.
1: Yeah. And the last part to point out here is, in the event that there's a challenge on some cost... And I'm quoting here, the burden of proof shall be upon the contractor to establish that such cost is reasonable. In other words, you, you got to, why is it reasonable? That story has to come from the contractor. And that that's something that it seems obvious when you think about it, but it's in the far. <laughs> so let's make sure we understand it. It also says,
0: what is reasonable depends on a variety of considerations and circumstances, including the types of costs generally recognized as ordinary and necessary for the for the company or performance, for that, for that industry. So for instance, box seats for your local pro basketball team probably are not ordinary and necessary for performance of the contract.
1: Maybe not reasonable. <laughs> Depends if you got them on StubHub, I guess. And so this is things like, Desks, offices, employees, materials, etc. But again, this is ordinary and necessary for for this company. So it may include there may be a software license they have to get for some high end engineering software that they have to pay a a large amount to maintain so they can do what they do. That's generally recognized in their industry as something that's reasonable. It's not reasonable for a guy that does janitorial services to need that. But this is what I mean. It's like this is this, see how it's art. It's like you really got to think through. Does it apply for this particular situation?
0: And there's a lot more in that part of the FAR. But the thing to know is it generally recognized as this is the kind of costs that are part of doing this kind of work. And is it sound business practice? Reasonableness is important in every kind of acquisition that the government does. So in FAR part eight, the GSA part, it talks about establishing price reasonableness. FAR Part 13, the Simplified Acquisition Procedures section, again, price reasonableness, part of the job. And even FAR 15, the Contracting by Negotiations section, this is where you're in Proposal Evaluation, talks price reasonableness.
1: And we have lots of podcasts about
0: that part of the (laughs) (laughs) FAR. We do. Maybe too many. The most important thing, no matter how you're buying no matter which part of the far, no matter what kind of stuff you're talking about, normally competition establishes price reasonableness by itself. If people are submitting a competitive bid, you can bet they're giving you their best price. And the fact that other people are independently giving you their own best price, it should be enough to say, the winning price
1: is reasonable. It's kind of like it is, except for by exception. I mean, and you got to think of what the exception would be because think about that. It's when you we'll go back to what we do as, as, as regular uh, consumers. Once you decide what you want, you go out and get a couple of quotes. The fact that those quotes are close together means the price is reasonable. Right? So w- something really different would have to happen to make it unreasonable. So that's a, that's a different mindset. Instead of, Instead of coming in with the idea of, well, they need to prove it's reasonable, it's already proven reasonable by competition, and there may be some tweaks to that. But 99% of the time, competition alone is enough.
0: And the FAR gives you that next step. If competition alone isn't enough, the FAR even says in limited situations, cost analysis may be appropriate to establish the reasonableness of the winner's price. So this is where the, the cost realism and completeness part kicks in the steps beyond reasonableness
1: which we're not going to cover today <laughs> right. but yes that, that's a whole different uh a whole different discussion and, and it's important to note that when a contract is not competed okay this is a different discussion we get that but just just to make people understand that if you're competing you have cost reasonableness and you don't really need to spend that much more time deciding whether or not it's the, it's a, a a probable cost or not that, right. that's, that, that's a rabbit hole that oftentimes we, we, we allow the source selections to drive down when they don't really need to be there yeah I,
0: I can't even begin to say how many times I've seen source selections where the government asks for way 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 too much cost and price data when the fact of competition alone covers most of the bases for reasonableness
1: yeah, and, and a lot of times, it's sometimes it's driven by expectation. It's, it's driven by, oh, it's a $100 million contract. I must have all this cost data. Really? You know, it's, it's just, it's, it, and for that matter, some people, there may be policies about it. And it, again, when I was on the contracting officer side, my assumption is, well, we got to see what all their cost data is. Well, it, and I, I didn't have a reason not to until, I, until now that I'm on this side and I can see both perspectives and go, the risk of you screwing this up when you're competing it over price is relatively low. There are lots of places you can screw up a source selection and screw up a contract that you award, but price, if it's been competed, is probably not going to be the one that's going to smack you in the face.
0: Yeah, if you're in the fixed price world, if you're buying something fixed price, why do you need reams of cost data behind that fixed price? If you have adequate competition, if you have multiple people bidding a fixed price, what analysis is going to provide more value than the fact that everyone independently gave you their best price?
1: Agreed. <laughs> it's, I, feel, I feel like I'm, 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 I'm beating the horse there, but yeah, it's well said.
0: Now let's get specific about the, the government side. Why should the government care so much about this price reasonableness thing? And you already brought it up. That price matters always. The government should care because they're protecting the taxpayer's interests. The, again, this is you and I's money we're talking about here. This is taxpayer dollars, right? So you want to make sure that you're paying a reasonable price for something. Reasonable, this is pretty fuzzy. The whole, the whole concept is fuzzy.
1: Yeah, it, we, we can't really just say that Well, that doesn't seem reasonable. You kind of have to have an understanding of this is a judgment call. Um, the, the contracting officer, the pricer, the, whoever's working at this, you, know, you, you, you really have to make the case for why it's a reasonable price. And, and by the way, here's a hint, you can borrow that, case, that knowledge to make the case from other people. So the story I tell on this one, is I had this thing called an oxygen generator that we were buying, it was part of a system, and we had a line item pricing, and I'm looking through there and it just jumped out at me that this thing was really expensive because it's a specialized piece of equipment. So I go Google it and realize that this version not only is expensive, it's actually more expensive than the other ones that are out there. So what do I do? Rather than call the contractor and say, prove to me this is the most valuable, which I could have done, I realized again, this is like 10 years into my career when I start to get smarter about how to spend my time. (laughs) I call my program manager, and I call the engineers, and I say, "This looks really pricey. Why is this pricey?" And then he's able to explain to me, "Oh, it's this the fact that it's a cylinder shape. The fact that it's made of this, made of this particular material. that's slider. It fits in this kit the right way. Does all these there are different things that it does from a system perspective." And I say, "Oh, okay." And then you hear me typing, <laughs> put put that information in, into the file. But that conversation, which took like five minutes. That's what I mean by borrowing somebody else's insight. Don't spend six hours on Google trying to you know make this explanation yourself. Ask somebody, and maybe that somebody's the contractor, but it doesn't always have to be the contractor.
0: It's worth checking into your own sources. Government folks, remember, reasonableness is in the eye of the beholder. We're in a capitalistic system here, so we can't forget market forces are a big player. The supply and demand is a real thing, and it impacts price. And what is a reasonable price? If you're buying something that's in high demand or or limited supply or is of, of a unique capability or quality, you have to expect to pay a premium price. And it may be a different price than was reasonable six months ago or a year ago. I mean, just think about oil. Think about the fluctuations in oil prices. What was reasonable for oil five years ago is totally unreasonable today.
1: Well, ironically, in that case, it's funny. Like Ten years ago, oil was roughly about what it cost, gas. Let's talk in terms of what we actually see. The price of gas at the pump was close to what it is now. In between those ten years, it's been all over the map. But it's funny that it just, yeah, that's the the price and elasticity of that is that you're going to pay for it, right? Well, that same concept applies to people, to resources, to software. There's only so much of... So many things.
0: Right, and when gas costs twice as much as it does now, you know, think about it if you're the government. You can say, well, that's not reasonable. I'm, I'm not paying it. I paid half as much six months ago. Well, that's fine, but vendors don't have to sell it to you if the price isn't reasonable to them, too.
1: And Let's put, let's put this in the context of, of the contracts we talk about. So a contract is recompeted. Five years ago, the market conditions were X said so there was a big recession. <laughs> Five years hence, there's no longer a recession. So there's this phrase called "The War for Talent," and businesses are competing for the really top people. And so I read an article, I don't know somewhere, that there are employees at Google who personally make over a million dollars a year in salary because they're so good at what they do, and Google's got the cash to pay them. And that's harsh to hear, because as a government employee you're thinking what that happened? It does, right? So the, the reality of this is: take that basic concept and you know, cut it by ninety percent, and you still realize there's only so many people who can do certain things. And all those companies that, that we refer to as vendors are all competing for those resources. And those prices that they're paying those employees to get that resource, i.e., in this case, brain power to do whatever they need, that cost gets rolled up. And again, I, I did not see that as clearly when I was a contenting officer. I, didn't, I mean, I was. I mean, most contenting officers aren't aren't economists. So they're not thinking through this anyway. <laughs> right. The
0: government, the government isn't really good at assessing realism in that kind of situation, and as a result, one recent trend, in order to create what they consider reasonable prices, the government has resorted to to putting caps on rates that they'll pay for certain types of skill sets. Right. So it's, it's very common to say there's a cap on engineering labor. Well. Congratulations. You just also put a cap on the quality of people that you can get to do work for you because the market decides what is a reasonable price for that labor. And if they have the opportunity to sell that labor somewhere else for a greater return, you're going to be out of luck.
1: It's a supply and demand exercise that we, as contracting officers, you don't often – hardly ever see that because you're going to get bids you are you're going to get three or four companies to bid and you're 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 going to see competition in front of you but you have to kind of zoom out and think am i getting the three best or the three middle or am i just getting who the only people who are desperate enough to do this for 10 bucks an hour (laughs) as harsh as that sounds that you got to look at it that way
0: which is actually not protecting the taxpayers interests
1: right because they're not going to do it well, and you're going to end up doing it twice. But anyway, Probably. Again, again, I've learned that lesson (laughs)
0: myself. Good segue to why industry should care. This seems so basic to the industry side, right? Supply and demand. Price matters. Profit matters. It's not basic to the government side, because the way they assess things is different.
1: And, And my phrase for this one is, cash is like oxygen. Without it, you die. And so... Price, And by the way, that's from a a guy named Barry Shevlin. I'll give him credit. He said that during a presentation. And the the beauty of this is that the simplicity of that concept is, it sounds really harsh to say companies are about making money, but if they don't make money, they stop existing. And they're going to go where they can compete for those resources to keep existing, to keep having oxygen.
0: And you have to explain industry. You have to explain that need for oxygen to the government sometimes. right? The reasonableness, why the price is reasonable is something... That you need to explain. And if they don't understand why it's reasonable, it's on you, industry, to help them understand. That is the price you pay for access to the government market. The largest market there is. The the most money flowing out to you in industry is from the government.
1: This is one of those many things that's part of the 80% process is that you have to really show your price is reasonable. You can't just say, well, that's what somebody else paid.
0: You need to be clear. You need to be explicit. You need to tell the story of why it's
1: reasonable. And, and another thing to think about, it's not a price objection, really. It's a belief objection. Is They don't believe that that price is reasonable. There's a gap between what they think it should cost and what it should cost. And it's your job as the proposal writer, as the, as the, the marketer, you know, however you want to play this, there's a hundred different ways we could talk about how you would do it. But the, the fact is there's a gap between what they think it should cost and what you're saying it costs. Your job is to close that gap, is to prove to them that yes, this is in fact reasonable. Help them believe so that they, their their belief objection goes away. That's really what this comes down to. That's there's, some heavy sales philosophy mumbo jumbo yeah, there. I, that's, that's what I do. <laughs> it's, not, it's not the price. It's something else. And it's the belief. If they don't believe this is worth it, they're not going to buy it. Or, or for that matter, take the time to write a justification as to why that's the right price <laughs> to buy it.
0: Okay. Let's summarize what we talked about today, Kevin. For me, Let's. the big point is that reasonableness is important. It's all over the far the government, no matter how they're buying stuff, has to justify that the price is reasonable. But reasonableness is in the eye of the beholder. And where this is weird and where this really stands out is what if, what if the government thinks the price is too low?
1: This, what if it's a loss leader for this company? What if they have decided that, you know what, we're gonna, we're gonna, our fixed price is going to end up being a 1% profit for us, right? But they look so much cheaper than everybody else. And there's a judgment call there, whether or not you kick them out if they're too low. I mean, I got that, right? But what if you ask the question and they said, well, here's our plan, is that we're trying this, this new product we've developed, yes, we're breaking even, or yes, we're, we're only making 2% on this.
0: Or, let, or yes, we're losing money.
1: Yeah. And, and, but our reason is that we want to be able to, I don't know, but grow. we're in, trying
0: to break like, into the market, maybe, right? That, right. I, too, and, too many hypotheticals to get at, but reasonableness may not have anything to do with the math. There may be more reasons behind it.
1: And, and and another thing to think about there is this, this argument of, okay, well, it's the judgment call of the contracting officer to decide if they're buying in or not and what the risk that creates. But, but you don't know that until you until the company explains why this price is reasonable yeah. or
0: In my mind, nothing wrong with buying in. If a company has a strategic reason for offering you what appears to be an unreasonably low price and you can get it through your mind that they're not going to go out of business or they're not going to not deliver, double negative there, then a low price is great. You just save the taxpayer money.
1: Yeah, but you've got to have the reasonable story behind that. That's, that's the only way that works. Otherwise, it just looks like a really low price and they think there's something wrong. with it.
0: <laughs> So government folks, there's lots of ways to determine price reasonableness. We just walked through many different examples. This is the thinking part of the job. Use your judgment. You have resources on the government side. You have resources on the industry side. You have independent resources to judge reasonableness.
1: And the cool part about this exercise is thinking judgment exercises. You're going to learn a lot more about this process. And you can teach your customers, your government team, you know, what they should expect to see. And you can teach proposal writers and your industry folks who are targeting you. By the way, we'll throw that targeting importance again you can teach them what they should expect to have to give you but you can't just say well i know it when i see it because the cynical side is okay that's a waste of their time well it's a waste of your time because you're going through something if you just told them explain to me why your price is what it is in the following ways in as part of your evaluation criteria you tell them i want you to tell me your story i want your pricing story for you know whatever product you're buying because you know that it's unique and you've done your research on it and you know that it's going there's going to be premium versions of it That's going to be much more effective than just trying to hash this out afterwards and saying, I don't know why this is reasonable. You know, tell show me you're wasting a lot of time and slowing the whole process down by waiting until afterwards to be thinking about this stuff. Sorry, that may have been harsh only because I've done it wrong. I'm just telling you.
0: And industry folks don't be offended when the government asks you to prove why it's reasonable because their questions about reasonableness are a sign of their interest. And if they don't ask you for that justification, then they're not interested in buying from you. If they do, they're trying to close their books and complete their file and justify why what they're buying from you is reasonable.
1: It, co- it goes back to the idea of you need to tell your story. And, and it's, it's interesting that a lot of times a pricing volume doesn't actually have a page limit. And this part of that, it's why I never put a page limit on the pricing volume is that I want you to be able to tell your story. And most of the time, all the pricing volume was was 99% numbers and then like 5% no headers. But They didn't really tell me their story. And that's how you end up on this slippery slope of just give me more data, give me more data, give me more data. Because if you don't tell them, I want the story. Tell me the story and the data. Anybody can give me the data. Tell me the story behind it. Give me the context. Because if you just give me numbers and I don't understand them, then I can't use them as well. But if you give me t- context to determine whether or not it's reasonable – that speeds things up nicely.
0: Couldn't have said it better myself. I I wish I would have said that actually. (laughs) All right. Thanks everyone for joining us today. If you like the contracting officer podcast, please tell a friend we're on Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn.
1: Yeah. And we we have a contracting officer podcast page on all three. And actually we just started a government contracting network group group on Facebook, you can just join. Just go look it up and click to join.
0: Remember that our topics are driven by podcast listeners. If you have a topic that you'd like us to discuss, or if you want more depth on any topics, let us know. Send me an email at Paul at Contracting All right, Kevin, I'll talk to you later. See you, Paul. Okay, that's it for this episode of the Contracting Officer Podcast. As always, if you have questions, comments, or complaints, Send me an email at paul at Podcast dot com. Thanks for joining us.